morning, everyone, and welcome to Drive Time Labor Radio with Dan, John, and Lena. We are happy to be reporting about all of the great news that's happening this Labor Day weekend. <laughs> yeah, a really wonderful joke that's probably going to be lost on the podcast listeners who are still listening to this at the same time they always do. <laughs> no, it's going to come out a day earlier now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're shifting times because, uh, well, you know, people's schedules change, things change. We're addressing the material conditions and recording earlier, I guess. Well, I mean, really, <laughs> the whole goal here, as you know, the most Garfield coded podcast on the internet, is to really help drive off that case of the Mondays, which is the whole reason we're shifting this. It has nothing <laughs> to do with any of our schedules. Yeah. We, uh, we noticed that recording on Mondays was somehow dampening the labor aura that our podcast can produce. And so we thought maybe if we do this on a day where people aren't working, as, as many people aren't working, we can get some of that ambient labor energy back out of the ether and into the show. That's right. We're consuming people's labor energy through the, the vibes of eternity. I like to I think know. of it more as like being a conduit for it you know oh, we don't right. we don't create or destroy energy we just help direct it you see right. so this is and like the labor version of woo woo crystal bullshit yeah yes. i was about to say i mean it is good because i i do polish my crystals on friday and by monday <laughs> they're already a little dusty and that's why we're so excited to have this week's guest on to talk about labor relationships in the new age scam scene ram das <laughs> is he even still alive Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. There you go. I'm sure she's still alive. Ram Dass, edge case. Who knows? We're here to talk to the CEO of Walmart about why labor has gone too far. I should intro the actual show. Welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody, your favorite labor podcast. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And I'm Ram Das. And we are entirely <laughs> listener supported. So thank you so much if you support us on Patreon. It really does go a long way. Hop in the Discord if you're not already in there. If you are a patron and you need stickers, just message us on Patreon and I'll walk over to the post office for you. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you think that it will help. Yeah, so we're going to start this week with a follow-up on the strike at Wabtec, which has mm -hmm. been going on by nearly about 1,500 workers at the plant there that manufactures green locomotives. Although, I have a lot of thoughts about hydrogen, but we're not going to get into that on this because we're here to talk about labor. And so the folks there, you know, who are unionized with the UE through two different locals, locals 506 and 618, have been on strike uh, at the Wabtec plant in Erie, PA, for almost three months. They hit the picket lines in late June after the company refused to meet key demands to improve workers' conditions. But on Friday, September 1st, the strike came to an end and workers packed in their picket signs after they ratified a new four-year contract. And so... The new deal includes average annual raises of about 3.2% per 
per year, which that on its own, you know, that's considering current inflation, not what you would be looking for. But the the raise includes a cost of living adjustment. So that's it's significantly higher than it that sounds like because mm-hmm. of the cola difference there. Uh, and it's also comes with a fifteen hundred dollar signing bonus. And new hires at the plant will now start between $23 and $35 an hour. Now, one thing I will say from going through some of the details of this deal and also, you know, just some of the coverage we've done on the on the strike, it it does definitely seem like this contract was was pretty hard fought <laughs> between the union and the company. And, and basically they had to focus on, you know, the wins that were the key issues that that workers were really had put at the top of their priority list. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of the things, you know, starting the strike, one of the things that the goals that the union had was to really cut down the tiered wage system that exists at the plant, which the the company euphemistically refers to as a progressive wage scale. Uh, wow. Which... There's, I mean, like, com- there's new words for it all the time. We're going to talk about the UAW later where they still have their growing period. Quote well, and, and, and also, it, it's precisely the opposite of progressive. It is literally a regressive wage scale. So right. <laughs> just to be clear about what's happening there. Exactly. And I wasn't able to get like the exact details on how the tiered system works at UE. But my understanding of it is that basically before a worker even has an opportunity to get out of the lower tier, they have to be at the company for a decade, uh, which is ridiculously long. And the the union, I will say their, their demand wasn't even eliminate this entirely, which would have been fine, but it was basically like, all right, fine. We, we have a compromise demand of let's cut that time in half. Let's make it so that workers can, can get out of that system in five years. And even that Wobtech absolutely refused to touch. I mean, five years is an incredibly long time, even just on its own. The longest I've ever been at one job was just a hair over that at close to six years. I mean, I, I think for I, I know producing green locomotives is a little bit different than the jobs that I've had, but it's it's extremely common for people to leave jobs after three and four years, and I'm sure Wobtech knows it. Yeah, I've maxed out at four. Yeah, and I mean. Thankfully, I think, you know, these these union jobs with with a few more protections and benefits and stuff tend to keep people in them a mm-hmm. little longer. But I think your point is is really well made because like whether it's 10 years, whether it's five years, that's a long ass time to be stuck in a lower tier making worse money than the people doing the exact same thing next to you who who, you know, maybe had been there for less time when the wages were frozen mm-hmm. uh, in a previous contract. So unfortunately, they were not able to force through a change to that system. They were able to, you know, make those significant wins and hold on to their COLA for, for wages. Uh, the new deal also does fight off attempts by the company to restrict when workers could use their vacation time, which sucks. I mean, we talked about this a lot. I mm-hmm. mean, in the worst case scenario, basically faced by the rail workers who have essentially no control at all over their own schedules. And that was not a, not quite to that level, but relatively close was where the company had wanted to go, essentially trying to mandate that you can only use your vacation in a couple of specific like plant shutdowns during the year, and that's it. And so the the new contract fought that off. There are some restrictions but they're basically like you can take vacation but it like it has to be cleared but it's the but then it also includes a restriction where like the 
uh, there's like heavy restrictions on what the bosses can use as a reason for denying a request. So it mm -hmm. makes it very difficult for the company to actually be able to do that. So another area where, you know, they were able to stop the worst aspects of what Wobtech was trying to do, but also had to come to a bit of a compromise. Uh, the, on healthcare, which was one of the big items, they were able to win there what they were fighting for, which was a cap on uh, premium increases, because the company really wanted to shift a lot more of the healthcare costs onto the workers, and they want a hard cap on that in the new deal. So that'll help, you know, that will actually is another item. Cause that's another thing I think we don't always talk about is that we talk about wage increases, but this like keeping your benefits cheaper is also a kind of another form of a wage increase. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's something that a lot of people don't intuitively wrap their heads around. I remember when Bernie Sanders was running for president and he was like, single payer is going to be cheaper for you guys because you'll pay more in taxes and less in medical costs. And everybody was like, I think you're trying to trick me. <laughs> and so like, there, there is a little bit of confusion sometimes and bosses are more than willing to exploit that confusion to be like, look, we're more than happy to give you five extra dollars an hour as long as you want to you know, pay for every single expense you incur at the doctor's office. That's fine. <laughs> um, and so, and another, you know, major item that the workers won that they had been fighting for was improvements to the grievance procedure. That was another thing in some of the coverage was basically that like the grievance procedure that was previously in place simply wasn't working, allowing the company to let them pile up and pile up and then use them as, as leverage in contract negotiations. So the new contract will have uh, requirements in it that'll help those grievances get handled before contract negotiation time so they can't be used as a bargaining chip. Um, and I, I do think, you know, some of the stuff that contributed to to, to this, this contract uh, being, you know, a hard-fought uh, struggle is uh, the union busting by Wobtech during this strike was pretty bad. They, uh, you know, continued to operate the plant using a combination of scabs and managers filling in four workers, which assuredly lowered the quality of production. Um, I mean, who's worse than scabs at making good pro product managers? And that's like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's basically the, the lowest quality labor you're going to get. Uh, you know, as somebody who is in a, who works with a lot of management people and is in one of those weird in between positions. Uh, yeah. The worst possible labor you are ever going to get <laughs> is from management. Um, <laughs> Uh, the company, of course, though, also, as we, we, we mentioned this in a previous episode, they weaponized the court system against the union, filing for an injunction and receiving it, allowing them to greatly restrict picketing around the plant after they made nonsensical uh, allegations against the union of violence, like calling it a bomb threat, which clearly did not happen. But of course, it doesn't matter because the courts are always going to be on the side of property. The other thing that the, the company did, and this is... We hear this all the time, and we're going to hear this a lot more as we go into the, you know, the potential strike at one or all of the big three automakers is Wobtech deployed that classic uh, attack on labor by insinuating that if the strike continued, they might be forced to shut the plant down. <laughs> yeah, all, that's a, such a common thing. I mean, it doesn't even matter how profitable anything is. They always are ready to be like, well, you know what? You are replaceable. And well, uh, we're just going to go right over to, you know, wherever else where we can exploit people at a much higher level. Well, and particularly in the case of Wobtech, like, you know, any company, you know, if they're evil and, and committed enough to to focusing on labor discipline over their short-term bottom line might shut down a plant. But in the case of Wobtech, like, I kind of don't believe them. 
I kind of feel like oh, the, that's yeah. just for the press. Like you are never ever going to shut down an established specialized production facility <laughs> that makes fucking green locomotives. Like in in what universe are you going to be able to set up a comparable facility for a comparable cost anywhere no matter how cheap the land and labor is? Well, exactly, because it's not this isn't a factory that makes like mufflers. Right. <laughs> Where there's hundreds of other plants that do that. Like for all my quibbles about whether a hydrogen locomotive is a good idea or not, I can tell you for sure there aren't very many other places you can make them. So no the kidding. idea that oh we're going to shut this down and move it somewhere else, where? How? With why? Why would yeah. you expend such an enormous amount of capital? That doesn't make any sense. But the other thing though that I want to point out about those tactics is not only are they of course underhanded, they're bullshit and but the, and they uh, you know come with the backing of the federal government. In a lot of other countries, even capitalist countries, those tactics would be illegal. Like mm -hmm. continuing to operate the plant with managers is illegal in many other countries. Uh, you know, using trying to use the court system to keep picketing from happening, that like keeping picketing from happening, also illegal in many other countries. And especially threatening to shut down the plant and move it somewhere else is illegal in many other countries. Uh, but of course, in the United States, as we hammer home on this show a lot, everything is weighted against the workers in our legal system. And so like, I want to emphasize those points just to drive home that, you know, while some of the aspects of this contract are of course, like any other contract, a compromise, there's still a lot of hard fought wins in this. And it was an uphill battle from the start. Well, and I just want to speak to what you were saying about it being illegal in other places. The reason why it would be illegal is because it's bargaining in bad faith, plain mm -hmm. and simple. Mm -hmm. You are straight up saying we're not interested in bargaining in good faith because we're replacing your jobs already. We're not interested in bargaining in good faith because we are going to shut down the plant if you don't come, right. if you don't give us everything we want. That's not how bargaining works. Well, no, and it's it's because in the United States, everything operates on the level of pure idealism. You know, the thinking is no matter how bad of a situation the workers are in and no matter how advantageous it is for the company to just screw everybody over in a wanton manner, we, we have this idea that, like, at the end of the day, everybody is just a reasonable individual <laughs> actor. And that's right. not fucking <laughs> true. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, it, and I mean, exactly to your point, Lena, like... This is yet another one of these cases that we bring this sort of thing up with wage theft all the time, which is that the company is totally free to go out there and threaten economic terrorism by like shutting down the plant. But if the workers were like, if you don't sign this contract, we're going to burn the fucking factory down, then the leaders of the union would be put in jail for conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yet it's the same thing. So like. It continually stacked against each other, which is why I, you know, I, I want to point out that to say that like the wins that are in here, considering all the things that were stacked against the workers are pretty impressive. And so, Absolutely. you know, UE Local 506 President Scott Slauson said in a statement, quote, this contract represents a substantial improvement over what Wobtech had on the table in June. We are proud of the resolve of the membership over 70 days on the picket line. As a result of the action taken by our members, we made both economic and non-economic gains. The membership has voted to ratify this agreement. It's time to get back to work, end quote. Hell yeah. 
Yeah. And in our next follow-up, we're going to talk about the Teamsters at the Leiningkugel Brewery over in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, as I am actually in Wisconsin right now, coincidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, Lena but... reporting on the scene from Chippewa Falls. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Well, uh, I mean, as we, I was just saying, another group of workers who has been on a long strike ratified a new deal this week. The Teamsters of, you know, about 40 members at Leiningkugel brewery in chippewa falls wisconsin has been on strike for almost two months since early july fighting for wages to keep up with the cost of living crisis shortly before the deal was struck the teamsters endorsed a boycott on lining kugel's parent company molson coors due to the, their slow progress at the bargaining table Several local bars had also stopped serving lining kugels in solidarity with the workers for the duration of the strike Members of the local, Local 662, voted to ratify the new three-year deal on Tuesday, August 29th. Uh, No details are currently available, but Local 662 Secretary-Treasurer Tom Strickland told reporters, quote, These folks are getting back to work with more than what they went out with. Kelly Bowe, a 28-year Line and Kugel's employee, said, quote, This strike has made the union stronger. These union workers are more than just co-workers. They are a family. I'm glad to be going back to work with my brothers and sisters, end quote. Hell yeah. I mean, it's really awesome to see that not only did like, you know, two months, which is a fairly long time to be out on the strike line, uh, that, that that striking tactic worked and got them what they wanted, but also that there was the community support and that the local bars in Wisconsin were like, well, you know, if the workers aren't happy with you, then I'm sorry, we're not serving summer shandy this summer. <laughs> uh, the the line and Kugel seasonal beverage that any fans of the beer will be familiar with. I think despite the kind of conservative nature of, of many areas in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, there is kind of a slight solidarity and community in a lot of places in Wisconsin. And so it's just there's such a weird way that conservatism like actually exists in a Mm -hmm. state like this. And so I'm not actually surprised that the local bars owned by the local petite bourgeois are actually like, hey, we're going to stand with the workers on this one because our community matters. Yeah, it's interesting in Wisconsin, and I think people kind of write it off as a hyper-conservative state, and it is in many respects, but that's because of like the relentless onslaught of the GOP over the last like, 20, 30 years. And what's the reason that they did that? Well, Wisconsin, for a long time, was one of the states with admittedly a very uneven, but kind of weirdly most advanced levels of class consciousness, at least on like a local kind of regional level. And and you still see that shine through in a lot of ways, despite, you know, attempts by what was his name? Governor Rick Scott, I think. I think you're thinking of Scott Walker. Scott um, Walker. Thank you. <laughs> but also, I, I think that another thing is, is that uh, Chippewa Falls is actually just about an hour and a half away from Minneapolis. And so I do think it? some of that politics also kind of bleeds over from that more progressive Minnesota, Minneapolis politics. That's true. Minnesota Democrats have an influence and also like the weird corruption of Chicago also has an influence. Well, but I do think, though, that this story and, and exactly what, the, what both of you have been getting at, I think, is such an important like it's. We don't have a ton of information, you know, on the New Deal, but I think that that broader aspect that we saw the immediate community engagement and this desire to, you know, defend the rights of these workers, even at a very popular uh, regional brewery like Leinenkugel, again, in in a relatively conservative state, because these aren't like bars in Madison. They're they're like they're in the more, you know, rural areas. And I think a lot of that 
points to the fact that liberals are way too quick to write off a lot of populations because again like you like you were referencing like with with Scott Walker like barely a decade ago tens of thousands of unionists basically occupied the Wisconsin state capitol mm-hmm. to protest you know union busting attempts by the the state and of course the state was able to force those things through but they faced enormous resistance and I think that these sorts of stories, when we see community solidarity like this, shows that, like, again, that opportunity to organize workers is always there. You just have to find the way to get through the mountains of ideological propaganda that we're all hit with. And and labor, a big part of the reason we do the show, is one of those ways where it becomes so much more apparent, even to folks who may have really reactionary cultural views, that, like... At some level, we're all on the same team against the rich shitheads who we all work for. And so these sorts of struggles can be an opportunity, a jumping off point to continue to build those community bridges and help fight off some of that propaganda and build us, you know, a stronger, more united working class. Absolutely. I always have trouble remembering Scott Walker's name because there's actually a really interesting British singer songwriter named Scott Walker, who I like a lot and who is very much not like the Scott Walker who ran Wisconsin <laughs> for a while. But as long as we're talking about British singer songwriters, Starbucks. Did everybody see Ed Sheeran working a shift at the fucking Starbucks? How oh, fucking yeah. gross was that? That was terrible. Oh yeah, doing propaganda for the company, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It was like a, it was like the Pokemon evolution of him showing up in Game of Thrones. This time it's cringe <laughs> yes. and it's fucking class warfare. Uh, but as long as we're talking about Starbucks, we want to recall. I think it was just on the last episode we talked about the recent Semex ruling by the NLRB, uh, which has made it harder for Starbucks to wage their scorched earth illegal war on worker organizing. And Starbucks workers united could have sat around and waited for that to uh, kind of ambiently bolster them, but instead they're just taking uh, proactive action on it. So continuing to build their community campaign, the union announced that their next nationwide day of action will be in just a couple of weeks on September 14th. And last month on August 7th, over 1,000 union supporters helped flyer at over 300 non-union stores nationwide to support the workers and show that their community is behind them. So now the union has put out the call for folks to support them on another nationwide day of action at non-union stores. And you can sign up to help out at sbworkersunited.org slash customer action. And just like we were talking about a little bit in the Line and Kugel story, uh, community support really does help workers a lot. Just unbelievably more than you think it does. I know you're just one person, but if you show up and you're one of those one persons and all of a sudden there's a few hundred of you flyering around at non-union stores, you'd be surprised what a difference that makes. I also really like this shift in tactic because originally they were saying, you know, we're not, we don't really want to put a ton of pressure on these, you know, stores that, you know, might not have people doing actions because of the amount of retaliation. But at this point, I believe that they feel like they've built enough power that they can resist a lot of that or at least do some of the inoculation required to actually make sure that, you know, these partners who are, you know, maybe going to face some of the union busting are a little bit more prepared Mm -hmm. or, you know, even just to raise some some consciousness through that agitation. And again, I mean, that's Starbucks or SBWorkersUnited.org slash customer action. It's really important that we all get involved as a community. 
Well, and one of the most fascinating things about the whole Starbucks labor movement in general has been that it's such a customer and community facing position. Like the Starbucks corporation themselves harps on this shit all the time that like this labor organizing campaign isn't just inoculating and educating the workers. It's also like really having a lot of tendrils reach out into the broader labor community and also just like people who think of themselves mostly as customers, which has been a difficult barrier to kind of permeate for a long time. Well, and I, you know, I think it goes back to, I think you can look back to some of the tactics like the big nationwide great boycott that was organized mm-hmm. by the UFW back in the 70s when they were trying to build their union. I think part of it is recognizing that when you have such a broadly distributed workforce where like a strike at any one location is going to be difficult to make that have a huge impact on the whole country. But if you're able to start showing the customer base of this against, you know, prime, it's a, it's a, chain of cafes, so primary service industry uh, type of work, then you, you can actually kind of extend your picket lines beyond just that one store by energizing the working class portion of your customer base. And so I think, you know, I think it goes to just an understanding of the necessity of different tactics for different struggles. And, and it's, it's one of the things I think that has been so inspiring about Starbucks Workers United is seeing the continual uh, creativity in the way that they're deploying uh, more tactics, which has been great to see. Also, I got to say, September 14th, going to be a big Labor Day because not only is it this big day of action, that's also the deadline for the UAW Big Three negotiations. Yeah, so if you missed your opportunity to go and act at Starbucks the first time, this is your second opportunity, but we should get directly to the UAW because as we quickly approach the UAW automaker's deadline of September 14th, 11.59 p.m., we're seeing the Big Three actually divided in their tactics as they continue to, you know, steal as much as they can from the workers. While Ford has mostly continued to bargain albeit with shit proposals gm and stellantis have actually refused to provide counter proposals on economic issues in response the uaw has filed unfair labor practices against gm and stellantis for failing to bargain in good faith this if held up will actually cause it so that they can't use scabs to replace labor because it would be a proper ulp a strike instead of an economic strike, which is what a contract strike generally is referred to. So there's a little bit of like legal area in there, but it's it's actually pretty important. Uh, these companies cry that they were all, that they were bargaining in good faith because uh, they are trying to keep up with many of the demands of the UAW workers. And obviously, if they were having trouble keeping up, they would just hire more lawyers considering the massive amount of profits that they have made off the back of the workers. Uh, I mean, in 2022, we have to rem- remind people that uh, GM made $13 billion, Stellantis made $15.2 billion, and Ford made $9.2 billion dollars and they're saying they can't keep up with the demands that the uh the uaw are putting on the table (laughs) it seems insane to me too because it's like they they keep sending proposals over and sean keeps putting them in the bin and they're just (laughs) like we can't keep up with your demands and he's like my bin is overflowing we've all got problems (laughs) and it's like i don't know we could keep up with the demands and we're just three chuckle fucks doing this part time that's true <laughs> like, I, I mean these motherfuckers have like you said whole teams of lawyers oh no there's just there's so many demands like don't uh, force temps to work as temps seven days a week 12 hours a day for six years 
It's it's just how could we keep up with these this volume of demands? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have to come up with an excuse. We have to come up with an excuse for every single one of the things that we're not going to give you. Yeah, well, it's just like the workers are like, hey, we, we don't want any tears and we want you to treat temps better and we want you to make sure that like our retirees get their pensions and we would like more money, please. And the company's just like, oh, this is so much to think about. I'm going to need so many lawyers and like six weeks minimum. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, as alluded to before, Ford has actually made a counterproposal on economic issues and it's ins- and it's as insulting as you might expect. They are proposing a 9% wage increase over the four-year contract. Oh, and wait, no COLA. So basically a wage cut. In place of COLA, what are they offering? Lump sum bonuses. Uh, Oh, read pizza parties. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they want to offer $5,500 upon ratification and $12,000 over the four-year contract, calling it a cost of living adjustment bonus oh fuck you <laughs> what like, the that, fuck we've talked about this so many times about how lump sums are just they do not replace actual wage increases they do not replace things like cola because when things are actually attached to real material circumstances they make a real difference in the ability to bargain for future contracts which is really really important yeah, like I, w- I would contrast, for instance, the, the, the deal that was just signed at Wobtech where it had a $1,500 bonus. That was not the primary wage increase in that mm-hmm. contract. The primary wage increase is the 3.2% every year plus COLA, you know, plus the other aspects of it. The 1500 was kind of just thrown on there as a sweetener. This, where they're like, we're giving you your wages in a $12,000 bonus over four years, $3,000 a year, and not raising your base pay at all. So that, well, the 9% over four years, which really is, as you said, Lena, lowering your base pay in real wage terms since there's no COLA. And and so you should just take this because it's a bonus, even though your hourly wage in real terms will be lower at the end of the contract than when it started. It's a terrible deal. It is an attempt to to trick and bribe workers. And and it's so transparent when they put 5,500 of it contingent Mm -hmm. upon the ratification of the contract they're like we'll pay you this when you sign the paper that's a fucking bribe that Mm -hmm. is so transparently a fucking bribe like it's it's downright insulting yeah Yeah, because like again they hire on the workers like and they haven't the new ones then they haven't gained a single thing in Mm -hmm. a wage increase yeah and i think that another the next thing that i want to point out about this highlights how the major press has also been on the side of the company because we in the article that i got some of this information from they said they boasted that uh ford has offered to eliminate tears which Mm. is entirely untrue because they are basically what they have is that quote grow in period which is still six years long Mm-hmm. How is that an elimination of tears? Well, that it's doesn't make for, any sense. The, it, it, you know, press impartiality is always a fucking issue in labor reporting. It's extremely rare that they take the side of the workers or even offer something resembling balanced coverage. But especially with auto manufacturers, considering like what an enormous advertising client they are for television, newspapers, whatever, every kind of press outlet, it's hard for me to imagine that the press is going to do anything but just ride their asses this entire time. And and any, you know, industry that l- talks about these grow-in periods mm-hmm. when they're like, we're reducing it, it'll be fine. This is auto work. 
It is, unfortunately, a relatively high turnover industry. The reason they offer that sort of thing at a six-year period is because they know that most of the people that they're going to hire in that period are not going to be there at the end yeah. of that six years. So they're never actually going to see the benefit of that. Yeah, and you yeah. ever get a job like this where you have to work there for like five, six, ten, whatever years before you actually get like any kind of decent like accommodations or, or compensation. If you work at those jobs, it's just an ocean of people who have been there for like a year year or less and like mm -hmm. three completely dead-eyed soulless beat down people who do make like eighty thousand dollars a year or whatever but they just look like they want to kill everyone and themselves every single day when they show up for work well and yeah. and, and and bosses will just give their supervisors literally direct orders will be like okay you have a quota of, of people who have been here, you know, five years mm -hmm. and you who are coming up on that sixth year period and you need to come up with a reason why we can fire them so mm -hmm. we don't have to give them all these things. And of course, the union fights against that, but it's 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 a really difficult battle. And that's why these sorts of things are just terrible. Yeah. Well, and then also speaking to the people who are in that grow in period, the beginning, the people who are just joining the job, uh, Ford has offered to start people at a $20 minimum wage. Uh, pr like this is probably oh just because of the Ultium deal. Mm -hmm. Like mostly they're just trying to match that Ultium deal that just came out. And I mean, even then that only happened in the face of the mounting pressure from the union and still doesn't even meet the union's demands. So additionally, they refused to budge on retirement pay pay, job security, or any attempt to limit the number of temp workers used, which is another tier. Like, it's ridiculous. Again, the press was reporting that they had eliminated tiers and they're not, and Ford is not willing to budge on the use of temp workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, people will talk about like, I, cause I've seen accusations of this, that like, uh, Sean Fain's like live streams and stuff and the throwing the contract in the trash is like, Oh, this is a public, this is a performance stunt or whatever. I'm just like, have you read the terms? The Ford's offering, that's exactly where that fucking offer belongs. Well, and also like every bit of media outreach by any organization at any time is a publicity stunt. The yes. question is, are they doing a publicity stunt to promote something they're actually doing or are they just fucking lying to you? And right. the great thing about unions is that you can rely on them to be promoting what they're actually doing at a much, much, much higher rate than other organizations. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and what you were saying about Sean Fain and his uh you know uh different his videos that are addressing the membership he said in response to this offer quote we will accept nothing less than consistent living wages that grow with the economy if ford thinks we will accept single digit pay increases and no cost of living allowance then i hope these shareholders know how to work an assembly line because those are going to be the only people who are left behind to build cars on september 15th such midwest dad shit i hope these shareholders know how to work on an assembly line my dad would say that shit straight up <laughs> i'm just Super imagining relatable. him like state like sitting in like the bargaining table across from four being like, I will turn this car around. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that really does speak to the membership because that, and also we are enjoying that. And we're, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I think that it's just really good. 
Well, and I, no. like, I know the membership, which is mostly a lot of people's Midwest-ass parents are enjoying it as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, none of the companies have responded to the demand for a 32-hour work week with 40 hours of pay. And I'm guessing uh, we will see something as it gets closer to the deadline from the companies. But it's worth guessing that companies will say that they have to remain competitive with other companies around the world. And we're not beholden to this, you know, contract and do not. And for that reason, they do not want to uh, actually do this 32 hour work week. In fact, that's actually consistently why they've said we can't offer cola. We can't offer good raises. We can't offer retirement benefits. It's going to make us not competitive. Mm. I don't fucking care. Well, and, I and actually also, and, just don't fucking care. And it's a lie. That's the other thing. Yeah. They're not going to be less competitive. They're just going to be less able to parasitically siphon off money in the short to medium term from the company. If they treated their workers better on aggregate in the long run, they would be more fucking competitive. They would have better products more consistently. And the people who work for them would have a better standard of life and would show up to work and do a better job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and the thing that, you know, we're hearing right now, because first off, I think part of the reason we haven't heard them respond to the 32-hour workweek demand is I think they want to pretend it's not there. Yeah. Like, I don't think they want to even acknowledge it because the thing is, when you talk about that to, like, literally any worker in the U.S., they're like, wait, that's a thing? That's possible? That, that could happen? Uh, yeah, I want that. <laughs> and I think bosses are terrified of that, as I think they should be. Um, well, and I mean, I think that this is going to be maybe one of the other, I mean, like, there's going to be lots of things that might bring this to a strike, but I think that that 32 hour work demand work week demand is gonna be one of the major things that brings this to a strike at one or all of the the automakers yeah and i just want to like you know confront that competitive uh, argument that they roll out which is the same argument the automakers have been using to to push back on union demands since the model t mm-hmm. <laughs> like they have been saying this shit forever and weirdly these companies continue to exist so <laughs> the idea that these sorts of demands would drive them out of business or make them uncompetitive is clearly ridiculous but just to lay out exactly why that's not true for people because i've i've seen it a lot in like the comments on on uaw posts people be like the car prices are so ridiculous this is just going to make them more expensive the reason car prices are ridiculous is those $12 billion in profit that Stellantis just made or the $9 billion that Ford just made. That's where those fucking expensive car prices are going. It's not, though, the cars are expensive because the labor got more expensive. The labor is the same price it has been. It hasn't changed. They jacked the price up because they're monopolies and they can get away with it. Yeah, because they keep giving themselves raises and spending a billion dollars on rebrands to nonsense names like Stellantis. Right. Because that's the thing is they want to tell you like they want to act as if the company is operating constantly on a razor thin margin. Because, again, they want to conceal to you that the price of a car contains three primary issues, not two. Mm -hmm. Because this is every I'm just going to go into basic Marxism right now. But it's like because the thing any company wants to tell you is that there are two parts of the cost of any commodity. It's the price of the materials required and the price of the labor. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing that go into it. No, that $12 billion that, that, that they paid in dividends to shareholders, to the executives, that's that just fell the from the market, sky. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. There are three parts to the cost of any commodity. There are you know, the raw materials, in Marxist terms, your C, 
There's the, the, the constant capital. There's the labor cost, or V, variable capital. And then there's S, surplus, because that's what profit is. Mm -hmm. And all they would have to do to pay for the UAW's demands is take a portion, not all, which all of those profits belong to the workers properly. And they're only asking for a part of it, which frankly is a great deal. For, for the bosses, but they don't have to raise the price one dime. They could do all these demands and cut prices. They just don't want to have to stop paying enormous billion-dollar dividends to all of their shareholders. That's but, it. Dan, my ninth grade social studies and history teacher told me that a auto manufacturer is exactly the same as one person running a soup cart, so I'm having a lot of trouble <laughs> understanding what exactly the fuck you're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're exactly <laughs> yeah, the the same business model that the halal food cart runs yeah. <laughs> is, is GM. They're they're just a plucky little upstart trying to get by. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Constant propaganda from, you know, the, the capitalist class. Yeah. So Anyways, fuck these companies. I think at this point, a strike is inevitable. I, I, I'm going to just go ahead. Two weeks ahead, I think that we are basically guaranteed to see a strike at at least one of these automakers. I'm leaning towards Stellantis because of how just cartoonishly well, terrible they've been. But it could be any of them. They're all bad. It's an interesting dynamic compared to the Teamsters with UPS that we just saw. Because like with building on what the Teamsters did, I think the UAW is probably even more formidable than the Teamsters were during this last one but the thing is is the auto manufacturers are somehow magically even more intransigent than mm -hmm. ups was so it's kind of like you know unstoppable force immovable object hours are happening right now and that that ends in a strike like how else can yeah. it end so well speaking of another process that might end in a strike uh you know it's it's almost like it's december 22 2022 again and we're talking about rail strikes oh boy because once again, we get to talk about the anti-labor U.S. labor code around rail workers. Because this week, 500 locomotive engineers for New Jersey Transit voted to authorize a strike. And I loved this because when ballots were sent out to the New Jersey Transit workers a couple of weeks ago, Eddie Hall, president of the BLET, uh, which is you know the, their union and also part of the Teamsters, put out in a statement... I am confident that 100% of the ballots returned will be in favor of striking New Jersey Transit. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> I, you know, do it. That's a bold, like, like wager there. 100%? I mean, yeah. that's not even one no vote. I mean, and to be right, you got to be really in touch with your membership. That's true. But also, like, 500 locomotive engineers is a lot of workers but it is not too many workers to sit down and talk to each one of them individually <laughs> like, well right yeah but i i do think it's impressive because like this isn't a group of 20 people where you right. could get them all in a room to your point it's 500 workers well, and, and and every single one who returned a ballot said fuck new jersey transit and even when we see highly motivated highly coordinated campaigns among units of 20 workers you still sometimes get the one or two stray votes against to, to actually say 100% and then to just un, just unflinchingly hit 100% with 80% participation. I mean, that's fucking staggering. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, though, we're not going to be able to immediately translate that energy into a strike because of the Anti-Worker Railway Labor Act. Uh, 
And just to, you know, point out why these workers would be quite so pissed off at their employer, much like the freight rail workers, the New Jersey transit engineers have been working on an expired contract for years. Uh, Per the Teamsters, they are the second lowest paid in the country at their position, and their fight is centered around equalizing their wages with those on similar lines, like Amtrak, where engineers average $11 an hour more than the workers on New Jersey transit. Which is like a whole ass extra wage. Yeah, it's like a federal minimum wage plus quite a bit on top of a wage. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but of course, New Jersey Transit has come out and cried poverty saying, well, we're projected to run out of our budget in the next two fiscal years, so we can't possibly pay you the same as Amtrak. Lie. (laughs) Well, and the other thing, though, is it's like there's there's this idea that the, the agency has no agency in its budget it's like okay sounds like you should spend more in order to be able to pay your workers a fair wage and have a good running transit system i don't want to run on a transit system that cuts wages for workers to like cut corners that sounds like an unsafe rail system to me (laughs) so and also you know the workers have pointed out that when they've wanted to spend money on stuff they've been able to find it because Condemning the spending priorities of the agency at a rally earlier this year, uh, Eddie Hall, again, president of the BLET, he called out the agency for their recent signing of a $440 million contract for new offices for the agency administrators. Do the, saying, wait, do the administrators actually run the trains? They do not. It's pretty <laughs> tough to run a train from an office. That's right. That's my experience anyway. Yeah, at the rally, Hall said, quote, Our members at New Jersey Transit are furious that the agency has millions for penthouse views, but not a dime for train crews who kept the trains running throughout the worst days of the pandemic and haven't had a raise since 2019. It's so fucking important to point shit like this out, not just because like on its face, it's an extremely coherent and convincing argument for the case that you're trying to make for paying your fucking workers, but also because this is a tactic that the bourgeoisie are happy to use against you all the time. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you say you're struggling, but I see you eating at Burger King and owning a (laughs) microwave. And it's just like... You know, as ridiculous as that is, if you turn it around against the companies, everything starts to make sense and be correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, again, just as I was alluding to before, unfortunately, these workers are like the freight rail workers bound by the anti-democratic uh, labor Act, railway labor act which forces them to wind their way through an excruciatingly long process before being legally allowed to strike, at which point they could still have the rug pulled from under them Mm -hmm. by politicians. Uh, This authorization vote starts that process, but an actual strike would not be able to legally begin for months, first having to go through multiple rounds of mediation between the union and New Jersey Transit, as well as multiple cooling off periods. In fact, it's possible the maximum length that this could go through is 270 days, which is how long uh, the system allows for all this, these rounds of mediation. Of course, the whole point of that is to prevent strikes on the rails. And that's been effective. New Jersey transit workers have not legally gone on strike since 1983. I mean, it makes sense with having to spend 75% of a year possibly just mm-hmm. waiting to strike because of all of these ridiculous obligations that are imposed 
solely on like the railway and air industries. Yeah, although I will say, interestingly, reading the the response from New Jersey transit officials, despite all the legal system being stacked in their favor, they do seem kind of spooked by this <laughs> strike vote. Uh, they immediately issued a statement reminding workers that an injunction against illegal strikes by the union remains in effect since being issued last year when workers staged a sick out to protest not being given holiday pay for Juneteenth. New Jersey Transit spokesman Jim Smith told NewJersey.com, quote, the injunction that New Jersey Transit successfully obtained from the federal court in June 2022 following the union's illegal job action remains in effect. The new court order also required that the union email their members to remind them that the injunction remains in place to ensure service is uninterrupted over the holiday weekend. Further, we are still actively engaged in mediation with the union, and a strike is not permissible while mediation is ongoing. That would be a violation of the Railway Labor Act, end quote. (laughs) And they know that act very well because they love to yield it against the workers. I love that you read that with kind of a Kevin McDonald inflection, because that is definitely how I I hear the New Jersey uh, Transit Authority or whatever they're called. Well, it's it's. The, t- the way that that statement came out just reads to me in the tone of somebody going, mods, mods, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just, just running for an authority figure to come and tell the person arguing with you that they're not allowed. I'll like, remind you that the federal government told you that you have to pick a two player game and let me <laughs> <yes>. play <laughs> as yeah, <exactly>. player one. <laughs> and so responding to the results of the strike vote, Eddie Hall said, quote, New Jersey Transit's locomotive engineers have spoken loud and clear. We would prefer to reach a voluntary settlement, but make no mistake, with this vote, the clock is now ticking. The process to be granted release from the National Mediation Board has begun, and as soon as it is lawful for us to act, we will. Hell yeah. Yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll check in on this again in a few months. <laughs> Yeah, and so I think that we should shift gears just a little bit. That's a little train pun uh, to actually talking. <laughs> do trains have gears. Uh, I think they do. I think they have to. <laughs> I think they have to. Uh, to actually, uh, something that we've covered many times recently, as the you know surge of of uh, university workers has really exploded over the past couple of years. So I mean, one of the most we we need to talk about you know one of the most important considerations in planning a strike and is and that's timing in order to maximize your leverage we've seen academic workers use this to good effect in california and michigan timing strikes shortly ahead of gradu- of grading to maximize the potential impact this week student worker resident assistants at tufts university in boston did the same by striking on their busiest day of the year move in day the RAs at Tufts are organized with ULTRA, which is called, which is their you know acronym for United Labor of Tufts Resident Assistants, which are affiliated with OPEIU Local 15.3. They've been negotiating with the school administrators for a, for a first contract since February, but say that the university has dug in its heels and refused to grant their core demands of a stipend. Their their core demands of having food or having money for food. It's ridiculous. Current RAs are only compensated with free housing and no mandatory compensation. 
In response to union demands for fair payment, the school instead offered 80 free meal swipes at the school dining hall. Oh, great. I love to I love to get all of my caloric intake from chocolate chip cookies and, and string cheese. That sounds really fucking awesome. Well, and it's also it's this is just one of those classic things where people are like, can I be compensated for my labor? And the boss is like, what if pizza? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they're doing they're doing pizza parties. Well, and it's not even like they are they're giving you like fucking outside food or they're like, here's a, a real fucking meal program. They're like, why don't you just go eat at the thing that we already pay a bunch of money for? Because it's the cheapest possible way for us to give you any fucking food at all. They're literally it's literally throwing you scraps. That is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and the, the way that they they usually, you know, try and argue against this, as with typical university stuff, is they're just like, oh, you know, it's not really a job. You know, you're just kind of there to assist and mentor people, and it, you, you, it's not. You don't have like fixed hours or anything. So why should we pay you? <laughs> not having fixed hours is worse. I just want to it point is. out, it's worse. <laughs> I mean, they're called on most times on campus and they're required to respond to resident issues that are assigned to their uh, their resident halls, uh, which is at any particular point. I mean, as you were saying, this is a great deal for the school getting massive amounts of labor for the cost of just room and maybe board at this point and not even full board, just 80 meals out of what a whole year was incredibly insulting. Meanwhile, RAs can face mountains of work without any momentary without any monetary compensation. As with so much out of academia, the system is built to exploit cheap student labor and funnel as much tuition money as possible to the administrators. Well, I mean, uh, uh, offering up just the room really as compensation for your labor is also like an incredible example of how they're basically just operating as a real estate agency slash landlord, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah, I mean, that's why I tend to refer to most major universities as like a housing development company that also happens to have a school. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that's what so many of them are. And, and you know, to that point, like the union has called out the school, like in their strike statement saying, quote, Tufts administration has been uncooperative at the bargaining table and has threatened to retaliate against the student workers, threatening to fire them, replace them and take away their housing. The administration sent an email to the entire student body threatening retaliation against union members for engaging in their right to collective action. In response to this email, the union has filed an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB. Yeah, as they should, because this is ridiculous. Meanwhile, the school continues to try to roll out the same anti-worker bullshit that we've heard from administrators around the country, infantilizing workers and essentially arguing that they don't deserve to be paid. Tufts Deputy Director of Media Relations... Kalima Red Knight said, quote, we believe that a room and board plan both aligns with our values as a, as an institution, end quote. Like, yeah, wait, the, so we believe that people shouldn't be paid? I mean, yes, that that's the thing. It's like, that's not what they were trying to say, but or not what they wanted you to take away from that statement, but that's exactly what they mean. <laughs> well, it's like when uh, when Marge was telling Homer, I don't want you stalking anyone tonight. Oh, okay. Have it your own way, Marge. I'll be back in a minute. I'm going outside to stalk Lenny and Carl. <laughs> yeah i mean it's ridiculous and 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 yes we had a quote from uh 
I apologize for screwing up your name. Uh, Niall Spate-Leggett, a, a senior resident advisor at Tufts who told NBC10 Boston, quote, more than 70% of us are on financial aid and working multiple jobs. And so for persons who don't eat on campus, a meal plan means nothing to them. Or if their financial aid is fully covered, a meal plan doesn't add any value to their existing presence at Tufts, end quote. And one first-year student who spoke with local reporters from NBC, who's not an RA, said, quote, I really hope they get what they want. I know it's a really stressful job, end quote. So, of course, solidarity with these Tufts workers. Really great to see them, you know, maximizing their leverage with this strike on move-in day. And unfortunately, there's no good way to transition into one of the many awful stories that we we come across of the brutal conditions that so many workers across this country uh, tend to labor in, especially some of the most exploited workers with the lowest paying jobs. And, and that's only been getting worse as climate change accelerates, when climate change continues to not be in any way an abstract future thing that to worry about just in your mind for millions of workers around the world. It's an immediate reality. And the continued failure by our government to provide any worker protections from the heat really shows that callous disregard for the value of workers' lives by the administration of the so-called most pro-union president ever. Uh, And we got a tragic example of this on Friday, August 25th, when Memphis Kroger worker Tony Rufus was killed by heat exhaustion caused by overwork in scorching hot spaces. As reported by Fox 13 Memphis, Rufus was a member of Teamsters Local 667 and worked in Kroger's salvage department, which has no air conditioning. Rufus and his co-workers have to load and unload uh, packages all day in an extremely hot environment. Temperatures in Memphis spiked that day to over 90 degrees, meaning non-air-conditioned inside spaces were easily reaching over 100 degrees. Coworkers reported that Rufus had become very overheated due to the pace of work and the temperature in the unair conditioned space. Maurice Wiggins, local union leader, said, quote, Guys said he was dripping with sweat, asking for water. He did walk to produce a couple times to cool off, and that's where he ended up passing at, in the produce section of the dock in front of all his coworkers. Wow, that's fucking awful. Like, and to die of heat exhaustion and like it's just unacceptable the way that workers are treated in this company yeah and so we got the standard bullshit thoughts and prayers from kroger immediately issuing a statement saying quote the safety of our associates has always been our top priority end quote which is a lie uh it's an obvious lie pointing to the fact that this is a facility in memphis tennessee a relatively warm area and you're making these folks work at a backbreaking pace in an unair conditioned interior space. So don't fucking tell me that the safety of your workers has always been your top priority. That's not true. The only reason you haven't air conditioned that space is because it is expensive. I mean, as somebody who works on building renovations, I know it's expensive to add a new HVAC system. Expensive, but not difficult and not outside the realm of possibility for the single largest grocery chain in the country, Kroger who makes an enormous amount of money by forcing their workers to do, you know, this extreme pace of work for absolutely abysmal wages. And, you know, 
the workers have also been fighting specifically to fix these problems. And Kroger has just continued to refuse. Uh, again, Maurice Wiggins, who's one of the Teamster local leaders, spoke with local reporters saying, quote, the union has been trying our best to tell the company we need extra breaks, extra cool down, different types of refreshments other than water. The company denied all, end quote. So again, I don't want to fucking hear from Kroger that they care about the safety of their workers. It's not true. And none of this bullshit of, well, you didn't know it was that bad. Again, lies. The union has been trying to address this stuff for months, if not years. And the company refuses because they only care about maximizing profits. They do not give a shit if their workers die. Yeah. And as we talk about whenever we have to report on a worker killed by a company, we bring up some of the statistics that are involved in this. I mean, the Bureau of Labor Statistics records a minimum of over 430 workers killed by overwork in the heat since 2011, which, I mean, assuredly is an undercount. Though the new UPS contract won AC in all cars going forward and new fans and cooling ducts for package compartments in the short term, we have yet another tragic death of a Teamster package car driver this week. Yeah, and it's awful. I, 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 unfortunately, when we were putting these together, I didn't have time to to add in all of the details. But like, yeah, you. So this is like this is not isolated to any industry because again, climate change affects all of us on Earth. Like. And, and, and yeah, in, in some industries, of course, like UPS, you've had the, the Teamsters fighting a long struggle to win AC. And it's great that they've won that now, but that's going to take a few years to go into effect. And so it's going to be a continued struggle by the Teamsters to force the company to accelerate its pace of transition. And that's in one of the strongest unionized co- companies in the country. In so many places around the, con- the country... The company, because there isn't a strong union there, is like, I don't give a shit. I'm not changing anything. I'll just hire somebody new. And so, you know, Teamsters Local 667, which was was Mr. Rufus's local, has ramped up demands on Kroger to provide safe working conditions following his tragic death. Union rep Jeremy Austin told local media, quote, Tony, he deserved better than that, end quote. And he absolutely did. And the best way to honor his memory and that of hundreds of other victims is for our unions to stand up to the murderous bosses in the same way that the Teamsters are trying to do and force them to end these deadly working conditions. Because the bosses are never going to do it on their own. And the the government, who, again, is controlled by said bosses, is not going to do that on its own either. Like any worker protection we've ever gotten, it's only been one through worker struggle. And this is going to be one of those areas where we need to focus a lot of our efforts because this is for so many workers across the country, literally an issue of life or death. Yeah. Cause if it was on, if it was up to Kroger, they would just say thoughts and prayers and move on until, you know, it continued to happen over and over as it actually already does to move to our next story. Uh, speaking of uh, shitty grocery stores, let's talk about Trader Joe's because last week uh, we had broke down uh, the you know the Semex decision at the NLRB and how it might inter- impact elections going forward. One interesting thing that we didn't point out, actually probably because I just didn't see it in the text, is that this decision requires companies to bargain with a union um, if they can. Comp- commit ULPs if they interfere with an an election, and it is retroactive for six months, which I think is a detail that a lot of people were looking for. Because of that, we've already seen our first lawsuit filed to invoke Semex and ask for a bargaining order. 
announced by Seth Goldstein on Twitter. Lawyers for Trader Joe's United filed uh, uh, filed this week a suit asking the NLRB to impose a bargaining order on the company for its Essex Crossing store in Manhattan. The union, quote-unquote, lost its election at the store by a tie vote of 76 to 76 in a campaign where the union filed numerous ULP charges against the company. Trader Joe's forced workers to attend mandatory captive audience meetings. Supervisors tore down union posters from break rooms, surveilled workers, and retaliated against union supporters. Should the NLRB rule that these changes impacted the results of the election, they could issue a retroactive Semex bargaining order to overturn this quote-unquote loss. Yeah, uh, and so this is really interesting, and we we had a, a quote from from. Goldstein uh, saying, quote, the union went in with well over majority support, and it's clear that we lost votes because of these ULPs, end quote. And so this is going to be an interesting one to watch because, you know, obviously we've talked about this going forward, and I think a lot of people have especially oriented this around like the Starbucks campaign. But you know, there's so many other companies that have copied the the Littler Mendelssohn illegal playbook that there's a lot of opportunities even that have already happened for uh, unions to basically come back and say, look, clearly the only reason that the outcome of this election went the way that it did is all of this illegal activity by the bosses, which we already filed for and you already agreed mm-hmm. to. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out because it seems like a clear case where the Semex order should be triggered. And if it's not by the NLRB, then that could tell us that they're going to be kind of restrictive on what they mean by, you know, ULPs that like irrevocably uh, alter the outcome of the election. Yeah. I mean, and your hesitancy there is like, what could it possibly be? Because if it isn't this, then what what in the world could actually really like meet that incredible standard? And yeah, so well, it and, better it better come down. And and you know if anybody thinks that Trader Joe's uh, is more likely to like roll over than like Starbucks because they're quote unquote a smaller company, they're owned by Aldi. Trader Joe's is just Aldi, so they're actually yeah. an enormous fucking company. Yeah, and I'm certainly not expecting Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> to stop breaking labor law anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So a Semex ruling in this case, turning over that loss in quotes that the union had and forcing the company to bargain with them I, could have a really big impact on this drive going forward. So this is going to be a really critical test and, and we'll keep watching this and see how the NLRB responds. Absolutely. Well, as long as we're talking about critical tests, let's talk about some workers who have been trying to stake out their claim in the world of working on film and television. So with the power of organized workers on full display this year in film in the film and TV industries, we've seen nearly 200,000 workers in the WGA and SAG-AFTRA SAG strikes shutting down production to fight for their rights. Uh, we also saw just a few weeks ago how this empowered visual effects workers at Marvel, one of the biggest studios, to file for union representation with IATSE for the first time. And now, as the strike continues to demonstrate worker power, another group of VFX workers have taken a stand for their rights at the workplace. This week, 18 VFX workers for Disney Studios, which is Marvel's parent company, have also filed for union representation, also affiliated with IATSE. 
So these workers at Walt Disney Pictures have recently worked on quote-unquote live-action adaptations like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King. Nearly all of the 18 workers, 15 out of the 18, signed cards in support, and so we expect the election should largely be a formality, depending on how intense Disney tries to union bust. Uh, (laughs) Judging from the way Disney handles everything, they're going to go absolutely apeshit. Um, But these... Probably. <laughs> Definitely encourage folks to look up some of the pictures of the strikes at Disney back in the 40s. It's some pretty great stuff. Oh, yeah. Strikes at Disney back in the 40s. Also, just look at any legal action Disney has ever been involved with ever in the history of their company. They are psychotic. Um, Disney and Nintendo. Find me <laughs> companies that love suing people more. <laughs> yeah, God. I mean, it, I guess Disney is maybe a little more evil about it and Nintendo is a little more dogged about it. <laughs> but yeah, they're very comparable. Um, these workers are fighting for general improvements across the board to be more in line with their unionized IATSE counterparts, which is something that we've seen a lot. Like, why are VFX workers weirdly excluded when everybody else who's, who works in technical roles of production of movies is included? Well, and I think one of the things that's so great about this, because it's not only just that, you know, we're starting to see the rippling uh, union filings in the VFX industry, which is great, long time coming. But I think we have to, you know, acknowledge that part of the reason we're seeing this is the environment of solidarity mm-hmm. being created by the ongoing strike, by the WGA, by SAG-AFTRA, demonstrating that, you know, you not only can you have solidarity, not only can you shut down your boss, but if you have enough unity, you can do it for a long time and support each other. And so, you know, this is one of those things where I think this is another case of the studios shooting themselves in the foot mm-hmm. by being just so adamantly opposed to negotiating in any kind of good faith with the workers because now the rest of the folks who aren't in IATSE or WGA or SAG-AFTRA who are involved in the industry, like these VFX workers, are looking out like, you know, maybe I do need one of those. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. It reminds me of that tweet. I don't fucking remember who posted it, but it was something to the effect of, uh, wow, I can't believe the studios are losing the narrative to 10,000 professional writers and 150,000 of the hottest people on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, this new group of VFX workers who are, or are organizing, they're, they're, they intend to bargain for better wages and then to unpaid overtime, which the more that I've read about this industry seems to be uh, basically a standard. Uh, definitely seems very much in line with like the video game industry with how common crunch is. Um, but also fighting, of course, for better health care and retirement benefits. And a survey of the VFX industry by IATSE found that just 12% of its workers have adequate continuous healthcare coverage and nearly three quarters of vfx workers are regularly forced to work unpaid overtime unpaid overtime 12 percent uh of workers having uh adequate health coverage those are horrible horrible like situations i mean to say that like almost 90% of workers don't have coverage that makes sure that they can consistently get the care they need is criminal. Yeah, well, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some kind of technical legal work around. Maybe they salaried them or whatever, but like unpaid overtime is illegal and should be illegal no matter which workaround you're using. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do think this is one of those things, too, though, that we've talked about so many times in the creative industry 
or various creative industries where there's so many gray areas that mm -hmm. the company or what the company fronts as gray areas. They're not, but like where they'll just be like, oh yeah, I paid for all this time to write this script. And then they'll be like, well, we need some rewrites. And then we need more rewrites. And then they don't pay the worker until they're done, which could be dozens of hours of, of, of work that they're just not compensated for. Cause like, well, I already paid you to write the script. I need you to rewrite it as if that's not additional labor. Well, it's, it's the same thing with this, yeah, with the VFX stuff, because they'll do the work and then they'll be like, Oh, I need you to change that or revise that or modify that or punch that up. And then they don't pay them for any of that additional labor. Well, and, and also they'll have you rewrite, not just your own work, but other people's work and rewriting mm -hmm. somebody else's thing is often monumentally more difficult than writing an original mm -hmm. thing in the first place. Well, and I think that this comes partially from the contracts being highly individualized. And with a union, these workers can get a collective contract that not only allows them to get a better contract through, you know, worker solidarity, but also allows your coworkers to enforce the contract that affects you. Well, yeah, and it allows them all to be in communication with each other and compare individual working conditions and what's asked of them by their bosses. And it sets both an informal and a formal standard for that relationship which is just like so fucking beneficial because that uncertainty like it's exactly as you said dan with like the the presenting things that are actually very cut and dry as gray areas like that's that's wildly profitable for the studios at the direct expense of the workers yeah absolutely and so you know we heard from iatsi uh visual effects organizer mark patch who said quote Today, courageous visual effects workers at Walt Disney Pictures overcame the fear and silence that have kept our community from having a voice on the job for decades. With an overwhelming supermajority of these crews demanding an end to the way VFX has always been, this is a clear sign that our campaign is not about one studio or corporation. It's about VFX workers across the industry using the tools at our disposal to uplift ourselves and forge a better path forward, end quote. Hell yeah. And so votes are going to be counted in the other major VFX unit that filed at Marvel on September 12th. So that's just coming up very soon. And if they win, as is anticipated, these two wins at the biggest movie studios in the country could really signal a shift in the whole industry towards joining IATSE alongside other production workers, which would be extremely cool. Hell yeah. yeah. VFX artists are going to end the shape up, folks. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little longshoreman that's humor. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, referencing other episodes we've done, let's reference a, a tiny little sneak peek that we did on last week's episode because uh, we have been postponing this story for a little bit now where we wanted to talk about a creative use of a contract campaign by some main iron workers. And we're going to have our lead main correspondent, Dan, <laughs> tell us all about it. All right. So, uh, yeah, I, I this was a great piece from labor notes from several weeks ago uh, that I really wanted to cover because, you know, we cover strikes so much on the show. It, it's because it's really important to do so. But one of the things that I think we that is also really important is, you know, we, we talk about the next hard thing is getting your contract. And so whenever workers, you know, come up with creative ways to put some pressure on the boss during that period, I think it's it's great to see reporting like this from labor notes. And so we wanted to share some of the ideas that these workers had come up with. And so this is uh, based on an article in labor notes by Andy O'Brien, who is the communications director for the main AFL-CIO. And O'Brien in the article details a contract campaign that was waged by about 85 fabricators at a, a steel manufacturing firm in Augusta, Maine called Seavase. 
uh, where workers have been fighting for years to get the company to bargain in good faith. Uh, Cives employs about 1,500 workers at seven facilities around the country, only half of which are union. And it has continuously fought the iron workers who represent its union employees. Obviously, they would prefer, like all employers, that their employees only dealt with them individually from a far, far less advantageous bargaining position. And, you know, iron working, famously individualistic enterprise. You do it by <laughs> right. yourself in your bathtub, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those giant I-beams on, like, the, the, the highway that you see, like, them going up in construction projects, that's just one guy with a hammer. Yeah, you can <laughs> do that with Legos if you're creative enough. <laughs> yeah, and so... Uh, you know, Iron Workers Local 807, which represents these Augusta workers, has been fighting off company attacks for years as the company has tried to get rid of the union. Uh, but recently, with wages and benefits having stagnated for a very long time, the company has had a lot of trouble retaining skilled workers. And that was able to empower the union to push harder knowing that the company would not be able to replace their workers uh, in retaliation for increased organizing. This is, speaks again to, this is another one of those things where one of the hard things about an organizer, being an organizer, is you have to constantly be reassessing the balance of forces and the struggle that you're involved in so that you can know, you know, when you're at an advantageous moment to press the attack. And that's mm -hmm. the same thing with, you know, like the, the Tufts RAs striking on move-in day, the most chaotic day on campus to maximize their leverage. And this is the same thing. Understanding there's a tight labor market for skilled work, now is the time to ramp up the pressure on the company, knowing that their hands are a little more tied in their options for retaliation. So when the company tried to compensate for multiple workers leaving for other positions by just demanding the remaining workers work extended overtime to cover for the, the short staffing, the workers were just like, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so Seabase next attempted to then, okay, fine, we'll subcontract out the extra work to non-union contractors. Then we won't have to raise wages and prove benefits enough to bring in people as full-time hires. So in response to that, I loved this. <laughs> The union reached out to Civis's customers, telling them that the steel that they were ordering wouldn't be coming from the usual unionized iron workers producing the high quality materials <laughs> that they're used to. And so in response to this, Civis's customers began showing up in person to inspect the plant <laughs> and make sure that the stuff that they ordered was actually being made properly. <laughs> That's yeah. so fucking awesome. I mean, really, I, one of the one of the biggest you know, bits of leverage you have as unionized workers is that you know you're going to do a better job than anybody else who comes into that facility. And to just be like, all right, look, if you want to make shitty steel, we're going to go straight to the people who are buying the steel. And believe you me, they're going to start arriving. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so when the customers began to show up, bosses at the plant immediately scrambled and demanded that the workers remove signs from their cars that they had put a lot of, you know, you put on, on your, like your dashboard when you park, which had read, share the wealth, not the crumbs, and don't bite the hand that feeds you. And they're like, hey, 
take those out of your dash when we have the customers here. We don't like those. And so, you know, the workers responded uh, and by moving their cars closer to the gate so that the visitors could more easily see their signs. Yeah, because also, like, it's illegal to tell you to take those down. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, okay, no. <laughs> what are you going to do? And so uh, also critically, you know, during these contract negotiations, the union also showed strong community support with over a hundred unionists from other unions in the area showing up to a rally on the first day of contract bargaining to show solidarity with the iron workers. The bosses were freaked out enough by this and like a hundred unionists is a good crowd, but it's not like overwhelming. But despite that, they freaked out and called the cops and asked them to force the crowd of unionists to stand further away from their offices. Because apparently their presence alone was too menacing. They're so scary. <laughs> <laughs> and But the thing is, much like many of their other tactics, all that did was motivate the same crowd to show up for the next bargaining session two weeks later as well. And also during these negotiation sessions themselves, when they were being had like at the, the factory... The union adopted a very creative strategy to annoy the shit out of the bosses and make their unity felt. During the bargaining sessions, while they were going on, like, you know, upstairs in the management office, workers began coordinated sessions of what they referred to as hammer time, <laughs> where they would bang, literally bang on the steel beams and the support structure holding up the management office during the contract negotiations so that they would hear and literally feel the presence of the United Workers as they were negotiating. Local 807 president Jonas Ireland said, quote, the noise level was amazing, lasting quite a few minutes in every performance. You could literally feel the vibrations in the bargaining table. That's so fucking incredible. I mean, if you've ever been upstairs in a house where someone is downstairs and they're like whacking a support beam or even just like a bit of the plumbing uh it's loud as fuck even if they're just doing it with their hands so you have to imagine however many fucking hammers just of like fucking steel workers like strong iron workers i guess really strong motherfuckers just reaming on this building's <laughs> support system it's got to be like a whole ass fucking you know 180 decibel noise concert happening upstairs <laughs> Well, and I, I could just imagine like one of the man, the first time they did it, one of the managers like walking out with like fists like on, on his on his hips, like, hey, knock it off. <laughs> and they just start hitting the thing harder. Yeah, I imagine <laughs> managers I, walking out of the building and just like accordioning side to side like a cartoon character, like, please stop doing that. Like, yeah. Well, or, or they go back to work. And then as soon as the manager goes back and it's like, all right, folks, it's hammer time again. <laughs> yeah, and critically, you know, a big part of the reason this is a good story is is that all that shit worked. <laughs> this all paid off. It prompted the company to sign the best contract workers have won in years. It includes average immediate raises of 6.5%, a 25% increase in company pension contributions, which is really big, uh, other pension improvements as well, an additional paid holiday for all workers, more money from the company for personal safety gear, and, and I love this one, a requirement that all steel produced at the plant be labeled fabricated by iron workers local 807 hell yeah. yeah so that in the future when they have to call the customers again it's like hey we're, they're, we're gonna have to pull the labels off of this off of this steel because uh you know they're doing it again folks demand that you union label folks it's important mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, another thing that's really important is keeping consistency. You know, whether you're a union or you're just three folks reporting labor news. And so what we're going to provide to you is the meme review. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This first one I love because this is just like one of the most important things to show people when they're like... You know, I hear all this stuff about unions, but like protecting lazy workers and like, you know, I'm I I feel like I'm one of the best employees here. I I think I can probably get something on my own. And so you hear that bullshit all the time from uh, from your go getters. Uh, So this is this meme is (laughs) I would also just love to know the origin of this picture because it's a very funny looking slide. (laughs) So uh, this is a picture of a like double slide or it might just be mirrored. I can't really tell. No, it's two different kids, unless the photo was really... Oh, you're right. Yeah. And, I mean, the sand on the stones next to... I think this is really, like, actually real. The, the, it's a double slide, but it's not side by side. It's actually, like, curved out kind of in, like, a wishbone shape. Yeah, and so you've got two kids going down the two different entrances, and so one is labeled being a slacker at work, and the other one being the go-to guy at work, and then the two slides go to the same spot, and it says, no raises. (laughs) And, I mean, we've seen people in, like, the uh, Work Conditions channel describe that. It's like, hey, I've been doing my job just fine, and somehow I got unsatisfactory on every single thing, Mm -hmm. which justified them not giving me a good raise. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, you could have been doing you could have been doing it better than anybody else. They still would have given you unsatisfactory if you were up for a meaningful raise. I've always said I retweet myself every once in a while because I made a post once that says every day I strive to be a B minus employee and give my most medium effort because it's important to do well enough to not get checked on, but not good enough to be given more responsibility. And I stand by that. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. No, because that's the thing. Again, the whole idea of if you work harder, you'll get rewarded. No, you won't. No, that's not true. You'll be given more (laughs) tasks to do. Usually if you want to get rewarded, you all need to stand together. Well, that's, that's really the, the only way it ever mm-hmm. happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, and regardless of if you're a, an overworker or a, you know, do what you got to do kind of person, the bosses will always come up with some excuse to, to you know, fuck you over or whatever. And our next one is a cats and hard hats meme with a really angry looking cat in a bump cap. It says, what? You're taking you're you're taking a day off. What are you? What are you? Part time? Sounds like you got some soft hands. This is a message brought to you by catco oh god damn it catco <laughs> i i just love this one because like i mean how often do we see this this sort of bullshit i feel like that's actually like one of the better like more powerful ideological coups that the ruling class has ever won is just grind set ideology mm-hmm. like this idea that you're like i mean we've we've talked about similar memes in the past before where they'll just be like oh you you only worked 65 hours this week i worked 80 hours this week i haven't seen my family in weeks i'm the real hardcore worker <laughs> it's like great you're celebrating making money for your boss and not yourself what an incredible thing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> And I also like that that in this, they made the, this message brought to you by Catco really small and difficult to see (laughs) because again, and that, because it's like, that's the thing. Like when you, you run into folks who will just repeat this line, but it's like, cool. You're sucking up to the boss. That's a real edgy thing to do. Not very (laughs) fucking punk rock of you, my friend. 
Um, hmm. And as long as we're assessing what is and is not punk rock, we have our next meme. What a segue. Yeah, I know. Really good. Not manufactured. It's not a segue. It's a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> They're called high lows, I believe. Um <laughs> And this next one, it's got a guy with a skateboard and like, you know, a studded jacket standing in the foreground and a guy in front of a forklift in the background. And it says, remember, there's nothing punk rock about ignoring forklift safety and procedures. And that's absolutely (laughs) true, because how are you supposed to rock out at the punk show when you've had your ankle annihilated by a 9000 pound machine? So (laughs) stay safe out there, punk rockers. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Then I also... Yeah. I just love forklift memes. Yeah, they're they're good. They're good. Look, it's forklifts what... are ubiquitous. A lot more people have driven a forklift than you might think. This is your tip of the day. Yeah. And I also, I mean, it's just it uh is a meme that has permeated more than just labor spaces. I think that it's actually also yeah. it really reaches uh more normie spaces as well, but still rocks even even if that's the case. Um, our next one is just like a kind of a cute one where it says it's got Doug from the kids' cartoon Doug. Uh, and it says, hey, friend, politicians don't love you. You shouldn't love them. It's weird and embarrassing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is a this is a call because we, obviously a, election season has started and uh, people Ooh, are has breaking out some of the worst takes possible to defend uh, strike breaker in chief Joe Biden. It's been it's been a very annoying time online. <laughs> like. I've seen a lot of people looking at that NLRB ruling and completely ignoring the crushing of the rail strike. Uh, don't do that. Don't cape for the Democrats. You don't have to. There's nothing obligating you to. Mm. Yeah. I mean, they're literally just an extension of the Republican Party. Same in reverse. So, you know, if, if you don't pay, you don't even really have to pay attention to them. If you want to just like support workers organizations instead, it's probably a smart move. Yeah. And like, the whole there's all these debates and articles and all this shit. And I'm just like, look, do you understand how good cop bad cop works? Mm-hmm. Because if you're arguing for people to, to stop opposing the Democrats, you you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think we have to do a callback to the UAW as we've been doing as the, you know, tension mounts on our way to, uh, September 14th or technically September 15th when the strike is likely to start. We got to talk a little bit more about Sean Fain and this overflowing trash can. (laughs) Yeah. I love this. So this is, this is a, is this a Yu-Gi-Oh card? Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Activated my trap card. It's a trap card. Mm -hmm. I was never into you. Well, and now you can get into it. (laughs) Okay, well, like, even if you're not into Yu-Gi-Oh, you activated my trap card is like a meme that exists on its own legs out there in the world. (laughs) But anyway, uh, you know, this is this card is called Trash Can. It's a trap card and it's got uh, Sean Fain and his, you know, trash can that he was holding up. It's like my my bin is overflowing with bullshit. Uh, And it says uh, the the text on this is negate the effect of any bullshit proposal and send that shit right to the trash can. And uh, I love it. And you you should check out some of those clips if you haven't seen Sean Fain. In fact, you know what? Uh, If we can, we'll include one of those those clips uh, after the music. Yeah. Well, yeah, we should definitely include some of the stuff from there because the, the re- most recent live stream had some real gems. He's yeah. funny as hell, folks. I mean, really, it's it's important to be a little bit of a showman when you're in charge of a big ass union like this. And Sean Fain doesn't disappoint. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and with that, we are going to wrap so we can get as cl- get to that clip as soon as possible. <laughs> we want to thank everyone who does support us at patreon.com slash workstoppage because it is the only way that we get any money for doing this, and it takes a lot of work to put this show together. And if you don't support us yet, please do. We, it, we really appreciate anyone who does support us. Jump in the Discord and come hang out with us and all the other people in the Work Stoppage team, crew, people? I don't know. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, write us a review somewhere. Follow us in all the places. Links are at workstoppagepod.com. Listen to Beep Beep Let Us. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Shut up. 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 Mad as shit, we ain't come from having shit. Take it, I ain't waiting, I'm impatient. I might grab that stood up, bag it, take it home. Get the take it, make it long. Oh, I hate it when a nigga acting fake and fucky wrong. I might pay to play this song. Fuck, fuck it, they've been taking long. Oh, my mama, I was brought up in the bay, I paid the toll. I like, oh, I like when they come and cater to my toes. I like you, I like when they jump and make the speaker boom, make it. Shut up.